welcome back to Mad Get Radio for episode number 12. I'm joined as always by the Simon to my Garfunkel, it's Paul. How's it going guys? Hope everyone's good, having a good time, ready for talking some ninth age. And guess what guys, it's an old school episode tonight. It's just Paul and I. Just like the good old days, good old episode number one, it's just your good old hosts, Paul and Andrew. Yeah, basically we've insulted everyone to the point where no one wants to come on anymore. Nobody wants to play us, nobody wants to talk to us. Apparently the dwarf hate is getting quote-unquote cancerous. I don't agree with that, but that's what they said. Totally justified. It is. No one likes dwarfs. But this isn't an episode about dwarf hate, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Paul, what were we talking about in this episode? So, we're going to kick off the episode talking about the English Championships, which Andrew was at a couple of weeks ago, as was uh, Edward, another member of the Wildling team. So we're going to have a wee chat about that, see how you did. And then we're going to go on and we're going to talk a little bit about Carronade, which is probably Scotland's biggest uh, miniature wargaming convention, which is coming up, where we will have the Ninth Age being represented by the Scottish Wildlings. We're going to have our own little stall, little table there, promoting the game. And then we're going to finish up, just talk about the Ninth Age project in and of itself and how it can be promoted. Is there anything that we can do better to actually help grow the game? And yeah, take it from there. So that's the plan. And all the shenanigans in between. Oh yeah, I dare say there'll be some rambles. Grab some paints, grab some minis, uh, and listen to the show. Yeah, so let's kick off, talk about the English Championships. English Championships. Take us through it, Andrew. You and Edward made the treacherous journey south. We did. Uh, It was good fun. Um, We went down on the Friday, uh, met up with the guys on the Friday night. I got a practice game and against John Turner of Scotland DTC fame whereby John inserted himself in me <laughs> and uh, did not lube up. And then we played Ninth Age. <laughs> is, this the, is this the bombardier list that you were running? It is, yeah. So um, John took a variant of, um, for all you dedicated Mad Get listeners out there, it's essentially the same list that he took to uh, the Scottish Championships, where he had three big units of bombardiers, a big bus of the armoured ogres, Paul, what are they called? Oh, the Merkvets? No. Oh, bruisers. Bruisers, big bus of bruisers. Some darts of bruisers. Three Kenny eaters. That's right, three. Nice. And yeah, so I, I really didn't want to play this list on the day, so I thought if I play John, it'll be a good test, and I probably, like Karmic Gods, maybe, they won't let me play him over the tournament. <laughs> so I played like dog shit in this game, so I'm not going to bore everyone with the, the details, but essentially, <laughs> the game was decided turn one. Because I stupidly threw my skirmishers out in front of my my battle line and put my wizard in there. Because that's one of the things I like to do when I'm, I feel like I've got an advantage in shooting. What I forgot was, is that John has pyromancy and shitloads of shooting. Mm. So, turn one, he took off my wizard, which wasn't good. Um, turn two, a unit of three tuskers charged the unit of three chickens and took them out in a turn. I'm not sure that should have happened, but it did. Was it? Did he just roll really well for impacts? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> he had great weapons. Okay, so but he's T5, right? He's T5, yeah. Yeah, which helps. And then he's striking back at strength six. Yeah. Okay. What, did you do any major damage back? No. No. Okay, you just flood the roll. Chickens just got right over. Okay. Um, and then the other chickens spent the entire game running into kin eaters, which he just kept throwing in front of them. Yep. And Kenny Ears are T5 and Unbreakable. 
Yeah. Which is there a great. Four wounds? Yeah, something stupid like that. <laughs> Can't yeah. stop them either. They're more than you think, yeah. They're good. So, yeah, I killed one, just ran into the next one. <laughs> killed him, ran into the next one. Um, and then he ate my war machines. So, I gave up, I think, turn five. But <laughs> it's always good. Like, we were actually saying this in an episode or two ago. I always feel more confident going into a tournament after you've had a warm-up game because normally I play dreadfully in the warm-up games. So I felt like everything was going to plan at that point. (laughs) Well, at the uh, Scottish Championships, you played Tim in your warm-up game. I did, yeah. You talk about one of the previous episodes how you totally misdeployed your war machines. Yep. There's parallels there. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of get rid of the cobwebs. Yeah. Get all your kind of silly mistakes. So, yeah. I don't do that. I actually play quite well in my... Warm up game. Ah, uh, okay. Don't turn up for the actual. Like dog shit, me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> John's like you say. John plays for Scotland in the ETC, so he did. Yeah, He's I don't. I don't think. A, yeah, John is a very good player. I don't think I should have just given him twenty though, which is what I ended up doing. Um, but it was good. It's funny. There was a an image that I think it was Jack Austin was playing his warm up game. Uh huh. Was he playing against? I want to say he was playing against Casimir. Or something. Yeah, yeah, he was playing against Casimir. Yeah. And uh. It was quite funny because Ed obviously had obviously shared it on Twitter, and in the background is you and Ed, studiously studying for the all <laughs> games, and it was it was pointed out in the the kind of Scottish ninth age chat, and uh, we had a good chuckle at that because you guys looked like you were stressing, <laughs> but that was was that before or after you played John? That was before, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because Ed hadn't finished doing going through all the lists, right? Okay, um, and I hadn't either. So when we arrived, there wasn't odd numbers. There was a couple of guys playing. So we just sat down, and uh, Mike Mike Sylvester was playing against Luke Tranter. Um, so we were kind of talking to them while they were playing and going through the lists. Um, and then Tim showed up, and then I got bored of going through the lists because I hate homework. So I went and played John, uh, but Ed stuck it out and got all his lists done. That was us desperately trying to figure out what all this shit does. Did you Did you see that part in the chat? I didn't know. You didn't. You just totally no. bypassed it because we were. It was funny. There was a someone suggested turning it into a meme, and like there was going to be like a, a prize for the person that came up with the best one. Was there any contenders? Um, there was one because it was only Guillermo that actually did it, which was <laughs> quite funny. And it was just a close up of you with like a speech bubble, being like, "I'm done," <laughs> written in it. <laughs> so you turned up. You you get, did a bit of studying, had a bit of a warm up game. So. Yep. Feeling fairly confident. Feeling good. Yeah, so uh, my first round game was against uh, Peter Bedson. Okay. And I'd never met Peter before. Um, and he was bringing Kingdom Ectane. And his list was essentially a massive big bus of Knights of the Realm with the Banner of the Last Charge. A big unit of Grail Knights. Two units of uh, Peg Knights. A very scary Hippo Lord. Two units of Outriders. And a medium sized unit of Knights Aspirant. And a damsel obviously the the draw was done beforehand so i knew what was playing against so it's obviously a a run at your list and i was bringing in case anyone doesn't know um my kind of shooty empire list which was uh, a big block of spear two wings of crossbows some skirmish and militia the same ones that got incinerated by uh by john a scoring unit of knights uh, just a dart two units of chickens four man units uh, prelate with the, all the locket shenanigans, Marshall BSB with two orders, Alchemy Wizard Master, uh, two units of rangers, two units of writers, two mortars, and two rockets. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff, a lot of shooting. So uh, the matchup was always going to go one or two ways. Either 
Peter tried to run at me and I just took him off the shooting. Or my shooting didn't turn up, Peter hits me and he starts taking my stuff off. So I turned up on the day um, and the scenarios and things weren't, uh, they were done on the day so we didn't know. And uh, I had the great joy to find out that Peter was actually a very nice guy. Good. It's always a bonus. It's always a bonus. Um, so we had a good laugh. And the scenario was uh, King of the Hill. And the deployment was, we'll say, we'll go for something like Frontline Clash. It wasn't, but we'll go for that. Cool. Let's do that. It was one of the ones that looks like Frontline Clash. Okay. This is why you listen to Mad Get Radio, folks. All this pro-tactical insight. <laughs> so, yeah. So, basically, I think Peter made a big mistake in deployment. And one of his first drops was um, his big unit of realms. And he put them on a hill. And across from the hill, there wasn't much terrain. So it meant that I could just drop. And I basically put my my shooting line in front of that realm unit. Because that that realm unit alone is 800 points. So if I take that off, it means that he has to really push for points. And then he put his uh, units of, um, of Grail Knights on the opposite flank. So it meant that I knew that his damsel was probably going to go over there. So it means I could basically isolate half of his army and take that off and then face the other half. So I dropped for first turn. Um, and then and then the first turn, my shooting dice really turned up. I took all but one of the Knights of the Realm off. So it was just a champion stood there on the hill wondering where all these boys went. <laughs> um, I kicked the shit out of a unit of Peg Knights as well, I think. So it went into Peter's first turn and, you know, like a quarter of his army was gone. It's pretty brutal. So Peter decided just to go balls in and he pushed and uh, my shooting just turned up again and I took most of his stuff off um, poor Peter it was always going to go one or two ways like especially with me with, with alchemy magic yeah he did a lot of damage the combination of really good effective magic with that many shots coming at you is, is horrible yeah. him being T3 as well meant that I was oh, yeah. you know hitting on fours winding on threes it's pretty pro that's nasty in the latter stages of the game, so basically you lost both units of Peg Knights, you eventually lost the Realm guy because I sent the writer after that single single knight to get the points. <laughs> the Aspirants and one of the units of Pegs did make it into the big block, but they didn't do anywhere near enough damage, um, and the big block uh, basically ate them. So he was left with his, his Lord and his Grails, and in the latter stages of the game, he decided to go in for it and push, and then he deployed the Green Knight, and the rockets okay. one-shot him. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Peter could not make any ward saves whatsoever, and he was really like. I was going to say, doesn't he? Doesn't he have like a four pages or something? Yeah, like in that matchup, he needs his ward saves to be ticking over, yeah. even just average. You know, just like save a couple nights here and there. Um, but he just wasn't getting any ward saves whatsoever. So I, I one-shotted the green knight, and then the rockets took three wounds off the um, the hippo lord. So he was left with one wound, and then he thought. No, fuck this for a game of soldiers. So uh, the Hippo Lord went and hid behind a hill, and the Grails pulled out. So in the latter stages of the game, I managed to get the Knights into his, uh, sorry, my terrain piece for the objective as well. So it finished 17 3 me. Nice. Solid win, game one. It was, yeah. It was very good. And Peter did, Peter did a little blunder in deployment, I think, but he made the right decision in the latter game because I think if he'd kept on pushing, I would have just taken those units off and it would have been at 20. Yeah. I mean, how far away. You said he dropped his big night bus on the hill. How far away was that from? That was like on the line. So So was it like maybe that wasn't going to give him a a charge turn one? He was still going to be too far. No, yeah, he was still going to have to push. And because I dropped for, because he he dropped that first, 
I kind of knew what was going and then he dropped the grail second so I definitely knew what was happening then yeah and then I dropped everything so I was going first everything was in range and it just it was like the perfect alpha strike opportunity oh okay okay I was thinking maybe he was thinking if he was close enough to charge and then with having the reroll because he would have been on the hill yeah that would just made it a little bit easier but yeah if he still has to spend a turn actually moving up then that's not so great yeah see this is where the um the crossbows really come into their own as well because you can be you know that extra six inch between the crossbows and the handguns just means you can sit yeah. further back it's a it's another round of shooting bits basically I guess yeah so exactly it's, it's, it's pretty good um and you've got firing in three ranks with accurate it's yeah. nasty it's just a lot you're going to be you're going to be getting wounds through yeah. so, especially yeah. against t3 like you say but i mean the game was really starting to go against peter and he made the right decisions in the latter game because i mean it finished up 14-6 before the objective yeah, which is you know that's respectable considering how. If you're gonna you know, lose, it's it's a chunk of points you're still taking away from the game. So. Exactly, yeah, and you know that alpha strike was really good. Like that was just good rolling as well. That's not it got anything to do with skill. That was just dice turned up. Um, so to salvage that a game that was right from the off tipped against you was good play. Um, and he was he was unlucky not to get the not to contest the objective at the end. Um, because basically my five man unit knights were just hovering around where I needed them to go. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he pulled the grails out, uh, they jumped in the objective. Fair enough. Yeah, so it was 17-3, which was a really good first round yeah, result for me. Actually, yeah, definitely. Um, How did you like not knowing about the objectives until the game? Yeah, I like it. I think, I mean, we've talked about this um, with Gareth, I think, when we had him on, that I think people can get too uh, kind of fixated with their first round draws and these kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be a fool not to look at lists. Because I think that's absolutely what you need to do, it, especially big tournaments. You need to go through the list. You need to understand what players are taking. But I think people can get too absorbed in it. So basically what I did was I went through Peter's list. I knew what everything did and I just didn't think about it anymore. And not knowing the, the deployment or the objective helps you do that. Because you end up not making a battle plan for a game that you've not even you know turned up for yet. I mean, that's it. I mean, if you go in with a, a very specific idea and then it comes to deployment or the terrain isn't what you hoped it would be then it's knackered yeah it, it can be hard to adjust so trying to be as flexible as possible is probably the best uh, strategy to go for yeah so that's a strong start how was, was your game two so my game two was against an absolute asshole of an opponent <laughs> so um i got drawn against this jabroni ed murdoch i don't know if you've heard, uh, of I've, heard, I've, heard I've heard about him uh, he's yeah, dodgy. yeah fucking he's notorious in the scene <laughs> um, so, so we drove you know three and a half hours to get to stockport and we got drawn against each other round two <laughs> so it's quite funny but actually it was going to be good fun um because ed and i had actually played a game i think a week before and we hadn't managed to get it finished and it was with our, our tournament list so we were quite eager to see how it would go and ed was bringing orcs and goblins and uh he was basically bringing the jankiest orcs and goblin list I've seen in a long time. <laughs> and it was all chariots, basically. Three units of feral orcs with uh, bows to fill out core. Some mobile spellcasters, a goblin bunker at the back. Um, and then all the random, you know, your wrecking teams and your pump wagons and stuff like that. It's a really solid list, I really like it. And, you know, similar to my game against Peter, it, Ed was always going to run at me. So it was always just going to depend on if the dice turned up in the first couple of phases so I can do enough damage to then push. Uh, the terrain wasn't as good against Ed though because um, there was a big wood in the middle. 
so that kind of hampered me. Um, and then the objective was Spose of War, and the deployment was Marching Column. So the deployment wasn't too bad because we both had shedloads of you know chaff. So we basically just deployed them, and then I dropped for first turn. But Spoils of War is really hard for my list because I need to stay stationary in the first couple of turns to do the shooting, and that essentially lets the opponent just jump on the on the yep. objectives. Um, so Ed ran at me. I shot him. I didn't do enough. Um, Ed passed a couple leadership tests, which you know it wasn't hugely unlikely or anything like that. But that was just a couple of moments where, if I'd managed to get a couple of things to flee, it means I can fire other things. But nothing was running that day. Nothing. <laughs> Fucking brave goblins. Was that testing on like generals discipline? So he's, and he's stuff? generals leadership eight, but he's got an eighteen-inch yeah. bubble because of the the crown, which is really good. But it yeah. was even stuff like I think he made four six leadership six saves, which I'm not moaning. Like that's you know because there's there's some games where he'll not make any of them, and that's not yeah. you know that's not average either. Um, but it just meant that stuff like his chariot units, you know, I need to be killing them and then panicking them off so I can shoot the other stuff. Um, and they just weren't running. So it meant that a lot of his stuff was able to get in. And he managed to grab one objective. Sorry, he managed to grab two objectives. And later stages of the game was me trying to push to get points. And in the last turn, I killed him off one of the objectives. But the the rules for Spoils of War are when you kill a unit that's holding one of the objectives, you can place it, but you can't place it in one of your units to then pick up. So this was turn six, so... You, you pick up the tokens okay. at the start of your turn. Yeah. So because I killed him off at turn six, I couldn't then pick it up. Um, so he still had one objective, which won him uh, the objective for that Second. one. So, I mean, he, he was winning on points anyway. So it was a 13-7 uh, uh, on points. But then he got the objective, which took it to a 16-4 to head. Okay. I mean, it was good fun. It's always good fun playing against head. And it was always going to be, you know, a kind of something similar to that. I'm actually surprised it was that tight because... You know, Ed's list does a lot of damage on the charge. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did manage to take bits and pieces off, which definitely helped, but it could have gone horribly, horribly wrong because um, yeah. the shooting wasn't particularly good. Had you thought yeah. much about playing Ed? I mean, you obviously, when you go to a big event, you, you can't hope that you play against people that you've never played against before. Um, and since you guys were driving down, I wonder, did you have a thought in the back of your mind, like, oh, I don't really want to play against Ed's list, or had you really considered it much? I mean, Ed and I had talked about it a lot beforehand, and we'd actually talked about it in the car on the way down. And we we kind of came to the conclusion that, depending on objective, well, we kind of thought that I would always have a bit of the nudge, because I have the tools to take down his list with shooting, which mm-hmm. is the one thing he really struggles against with his list. And stuff like the panics and that, that if I shoot the flanks off, they panic, they run away, and then he's just really left with the ferals because they're the only things that don't run. So... Probably on paper I should have had a little bit of a nudge, but the objective wasn't ideal because Ed was always going to move forward, which means he can get the objectives early on. And just the not being able to do enough damage with the shooting. I mean, that's the risk you take when you take a shooting army. It doesn't really stand up to a close combat yeah. army, actually, once it reaches you, so that's the, the risk. Exactly, yeah. Um, but, I mean, the big block was able to carve out some points at the end, like my big block. So I mean, it took out some ferals and I, I think a chariot or something that wasn't was wounded that was kind of hovering about the place <laughs> yeah i mean the, the three points is a big swing so even getting the six points out of it is good because like what we were saying before um in your first game it, it keeps your your tally ticking over it does yeah as long as you're getting you're picking up points i mean to be fair 
I think Ed could field a couple of charges as well, turn two, three. So if they'd got in, I think it could have been you know even worse for me. So yeah, no, it was good fun though. Um, it was always kind of going to go like that. So. So um, third game, last game of the day, feeling pretty positive overall. Yeah, on. so like that was twenty-one points out of two games, so that was pretty good. Yeah. Um. So my third game was against Tim Ross, who was bringing Sylvan Elves. Tim had. For core, basically just dryads and a unit of archers. Um, we had two units of the Heath Hunters, a three-man unit of tree bush guys, what are they called? Digit Beasts. That's the ones. <laughs> uh, an eagle, uh, a unit of wild hunters with a really scary stag lord in there, um, some blade dancers with his BSB, and then a unit of sentinels with his uh, wizard in there. So this was um, the corner corner one whatever that is where you can't deploy in the corner Mark, oh right yeah it's one much. of the new ones yeah 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 Don Assault and um, I dropped quite early on because there was a big hill on one side of the table so I basically allowed me to deploy my infantry across the hill and basically shut off that section of the table and um, Tim had dropped his his Kestrel Knights across from him in a wood and he sat for ages and he looked at the table and uh, I was really hoping that he was going to do what he did, and he decided that he would try and push me. Right. I was like, ha, 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 <laughs> silly elf. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he basically put all his combat units across from me, um, which was a mistake. Uh, turn one, took off the Kestronites, smashed up the Hunters. Turn two, finished off the Hunters. <laughs> Jeez. Um, the sta- sorry, there was a couple of uh, the Huntsmen left. Um, they made, I think, turn three, they got in with the Stag Lord into the big block. Right. Um, so the first turn of combat challenge for the champion because all his lord stuff is all about on the charge right okay so, so he spunked all his lord stuff off on the charge yeah. turn two the prelate got in <laughs> started yeah. smacking him about the place uh, but three turns in a row he rolled I rolled a one to wound Jeez. which is annoying um, so he's, he, he kept sticking in the combat um, he eventually right. did go down but it allowed him time to get the dancers in okay because basically I'd shut off everything else. And dancers got in, and I really underestimated them. I was going to say, how, what how, what kind of size of unit did he, did he bring? I mean, it was a decent size. I think it was maybe about 15 dancers. Okay. 12 yeah. to 15. Really underestimated them. They got in, and they just like minced the heavy infantry block. Yeah, they're really good. I kind of thought that, like, yeah, it'll hurt, but I've just got more attacks, and they've not really got anything, mm. like, armor defensive-wise, so I'll just, you know, outgrind them. But uh, they can do the dance for the extra attack, and yeah. poof, they just blew me away. Yeah, it's the striking really well, really fast, and just kind of taking away your attacks. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this was flags this game as well. Okay. So basically what Tim had done is put his archers and his dryads in the corner away from me. So realistically, there was no way I was going to get them, unless I right. got lucky with chickens and stuff late game. But he basically destroyed the heavy infantry unit. The characters managed to run away because I, I blocked them with the... I basically just threw units in the way of this dancer's okay. unit and to stop, yeah. him, stop him getting the heroes. But the one of my units, a writer, got MVP this game because they, come, they managed to get around the flank. The, the Heath Hunters charged them. They beat up the Heath Hunters in combat. Nice. They, they killed them and then they got around and they started threatening his um, Sentinel unit. And actually, sorry, the, the Heath Riders, I think, panicked through the Sentinels unit, which who fled. They failed their the check Jeez. because they were out of BSB. 
and then I moved up, and then I charged them, and they fled again. And basically, I, they ended up running off the board, I'm sure. Oh, no, sorry, the wizard killed himself with a miscast. That's what it was. <laughs> so, like, there was stuff going very wrong for Tim, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. Horrible. But, yeah, his, his dancer's unit managed to get back a, a shed load of points in the latter games because it was looking really bad. Right. Um, and also, I could not stop Totemic Beast for Love Nor Money. Um, oh, was it just one of these things you were saving your dice to, to stop that one spell? Exactly, and yeah. I just it. couldn't yeah. do it. So he, I think he got two or three Totemic Beasts. And against Ugh. against Peter, he got he had four Totemic Beasts on at one point. What? Because he took, got Shamanism as well. And it was like the one spell that I was trying to stop because yeah. by that point I'd done a lot of shooting damage so I didn't, I didn't mind if he got Chill and Howl off. But I just couldn't stop it and he was just eating war machines and basically that, the same thing happened against Tim that the, the beast got on and just started eating war machines um, so he managed to get a lot of points back in the later game um, and obviously I lost the the secondary as well because all of his pushy units weren't scoring so it was 15-5 to me on points but I lost the secondary so it ended up 12-8 to me so that secondary I'm right in saying it's just who kills the most scoring now yes yeah Right, okay. So you had only killed the the hunters? The caveat with the general? They're not even scoring, I don't think. Oh, right, shit. Uh, I think his only scoring was the units of dryads and the, the archers. How many units of dryads did he have? Were they all just like min-sized units? Yeah, I think he definitely had two units of like eight dryads, I think. Basically just for, for, core. Yeah, for core and for scoring purposes. But yeah, so this was the second game against shamanism as well. Which, um, spoiler, shamanism comes up a lot later on. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was super popular at um, the event. It's a really good lore. Yeah, it's really I good. I like it. It's really strong. It's I'm good against... Sad yeah. taking it away from warriors. Especially in like the UK where shooting is pretty popular. Um, it's a solid lore to take to something like a big tournament. Because you're going to play against shooting armies. Yeah, I think Totemic Summon's got to be about the best spell in the game. Yeah, it's very, very good. The potential to have that many free units on the table for which your opponent gets no points for killing is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's the fact that they're, they're toughest five as well. So even your small yeah. arms fire struggles to take them off. Yeah. And you get the breath weapon as well so they can yeah. try and do damage from range if, if you know if you can't get quite in with the random movement. Really good. And the fact that the big one um, you drop within what is it, like six of the board edge or something like that or ten of the board edge. So I think it's ten or something. It's, it's quite a chunk of distance. You can't even do like anti ambushing. Like you can't just cover your board edge no. because they just drop inside it. Yeah. Felix assures me that there's a deployment method with Empire where you can actually stop them doing that. Where <laughs> you just you basically cover your entire corner. This is like a conga line. Well, I tr- well, I'll talk about conga lines in a little bit because I tried to do that and it didn't work against this. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's in a, in a future game. But yeah, they're they're really hard to to stop. So basically, what I decided was, there's no point fanning about with deployment against this. So I'll just save all my dice and stop that, and I'll take Chill and Howl. So I took Chill and Howl, filtered, <laughs> filtered the spell, so all these total things were running about. Um, but yeah, so that was um, that was game three. That was game three. Yeah, I mean, so how many points were you finishing on after day one? So after day one, so that's uh, twenty nine, thirty three points. That's pretty good. Did you have a kind of goal in mind as to where you wanted to be at the end of day one? Um, not at the end of day one. I, I basically set myself the goal that I wanted to be top half of the table by the end of the event. I was kind of there or thereabouts. Because Tim was able to get a lot of points back in the later game, I think I left a couple points out there. I don't know I don't know what I would have done differently 
I think maybe because the big hill was good because it let me deploy along it, but it also meant that um, because of the angle he was running at, only half my line could shoot at the dancers coming in. Yeah. So they were essentially able to get in pretty, you know, much full health because they're skirmish and hard target. I was going to say they've got some good anti-shooting rules. Yeah. Um, so. So you were you were focusing them out. It wasn't you just didn't underestimate them. You did try and deal with them before they actually reached your line. Yeah, later game. So the priority was get rid of the Kestrels and the Wild Huntsmen because they're obviously faster. Um, and they hit harder. Yeah, and like the Kestrels, there was only three of them, but they're the kind of thing that if they get behind you, they're just a, a nightmare. Yeah, super fast. So because everything else took quite a lot of shooting to get down, um, I wasn't able to, you know, put as much pressure on the. Uh, the dancers as I would have liked and my writer were off you know trying to <laughs> win MVP of the tournament trying to <laughs> kill wizards and stuff like that yeah. so I couldn't really chaff them and I'd saved the uh, the rangers in reserve in case stuff like Totemic Beasts which actually they did need to go and kill so yeah I think I left some points out there but uh, fair play to him he managed to harvest a lot of them in the, the later game so after one, did you guys go out and go for a drink and have dinner? Yeah, it was, it was really good. So um, I was sharing a room with the lovely David Johnson. And uh, we basically went back to the hotel room, got changed, and then all the uh, Scotland guys, uh, we all went out for dinner, which was glorious. Um, we all were like dying at the end of it. <laughs> and uh, I kind of thought everyone would want to go back out for a drink, but everyone was kind of tired. So okay. they all pulled back. But I went back along to Element Games, and I sat and had a drink with the one and only Henry P. Miller and uh, Jack Austin. We sat for a few hours, and nice. um, we wrote Henry's uh, list for the upcoming Danish tournament, which was taken BC. <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome. So Jack and I had obviously had a few drinks by this point. And we're like, Nah, nah, you got to take Banshees. You got to come on, Henry. You gotta... <laughs> it's all about Help. screaming horrors. <laughs> what, what time did the venue actually close? It was open quite late. I mean, I think I stayed there till, I think, 1. Okay. Um, and and they, they had a bar. Yeah, so Element has a bar. Um, Element was actually just an awesome venue, just to shout out to them. Uh, I was yeah. really impressed. Um, I also spent lots of money in their shop, which I shouldn't have done, but I did anyway. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, the bar was really good. The staff were really nice. And uh, they basically said that they would stay open as long as there was service. So, okay. I mean, there were still guys sitting, playing games and drinking when I left. Cool. Yeah, there was a few uh, sorry faces in the morning, like, but <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. It was yeah, really I like good. The look of, I like the look of Element Games. I've never been, but um, just from like videos and yeah, like, Facebook and website and stuff, it does look like a really good venue. I would a hundred percent go back. Um, nice. It's, I mean, it's so easy for us as well because it's only like three hours, but it's easy to get on and off the motorway. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, I would definitely be going back to Stockport. Cool. So you were um raring to go day two yeah so late on in the end of the day one the draw got put up for the next day and um i got drawn against the one the only tim botnick <laughs> so um <laughs> tim and i are both the coaches for the atc team and we like to indulge in some little mind games with one another <laughs> and <laughs> essentially on we all did our uh, predictions for the team and uh I had put that I would put I would get 17 points off Tim before objective, and uh, <laughs> he put on mind that he would get 16 because he would let me to keep that extra point to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there was a lot at stake here, 
And I'd been very vocal about how shit I thought Tim's list was, because uh, his list was like just filled with crap. It was like, <laughs> it was like he was running beast herds, right? Yeah, it was beast herds. It was um, a couple units of mongrel raiders, lots of dogs, three cyclops units, two jabbers, a shaman, no BSB. That's right, nice. no BSB. <laughs> um, lots of little the razor tusk guys, and then some briar beasts. It was just like, I was looking at the list and I was like, I'm just going to kill that. There's, there's nothing you can do. I'm just going to take that off. So I was way too confident going into this game. <laughs> um, and I forgot the fact that Tim is an amazing player. <laughs> yeah, he's very good. So I, I completely misplayed this as well. Because I was looking at his list and he had shamanism. And he had the wood. And I forgot about the wood. The, the Seed of the Dark Forest. Yeah. But I was looking at his list and I'm like, I'm just going to shoot that off. Because in my head I was thinking, he's either going to corner in the opposite corner from me and take a, a draw or a small loss, or he's going to try and run at me and I'll take him off. So I deployed in the corner, I thought I was being really fucking smart, I got my rangers, my skirmishers, and I did like the conga line around the board edge. <laughs> and I was um, playing next to Kevin Weaver, who's a very nice man, he also plays uh, Empire, he's a listener to the podcast, nice. so shout out to Kevin. And I was deploying these skirmishers and I was like saying to him, I was like, oh, look at me, I'm so fucking smart. <laughs> I'm such a dickhead. Um, so, Tim did not play like I thought he would. Okay. And he tried to outshoot me. Right. Which I scoffed at at first. Yeah. And then he won the shoot off. <laughs> it's like, it's just, like, I dropped. He dropped for, for first turn. No, I dropped for first turn. Right. I, I did basically hee haw. Um,. I deployed in the wrong corner. I, I deployed for this hill again, which ended up screwing me because the war machines were kind of limited because they had to deploy behind the battle line yeah. uh, because I didn't want them deploying out with you know, the line because they would just get picked off. So we were kind of limited to what they could see. One mortar misfired and then broke, which is never ideal. Uh, the rockets, you know, because they're just so fucking good, they actually performed. They almost killed the Cyclops in one turn, which was good. Nice. Um, but the crossbow fire just didn't do anything because he deployed his, his big unit of mongrel shooters across from me in skirmish in the wood, and then he had you know shamanism as well, so I just wasn't doing damage, and he was just out shooting me. So this wasn't going well. Um, and at that point, at the end of turn one, I should have realised that, and I should have just pushed, because there's nothing in his list that can stand up to the chickens in combat or even the big block. So I should have just pushed at him and just taken him. Because even if he gets the Cyclopses into the um, the big unit, I can help them out with other units. And I think I just outgrind them anyway, because they're only toughest five. But I didn't do that, because I'm an idiot. And I was really adamant that my sh- shooting list should outshoot people, so I tried to keep on shooting them. <laughs> um, and then the Jabbers got in, and fucking hell, they're, they're fucking broken. They're so good. I misunderstood the Jabber walk rule. So you know how it's got that aura of madness? Yeah. Where it minus one leadership. Yeah. So how that works... In reality, is that if a unit's within six, it's minus one leadership. If your general's unit is within six as well, it's minus one leadership. So he put his jabber in between my units uh, because I, I couldn't shoot it off. I, I probably should have shot it off, but it survived. And it, it got in. So it would put my general at minus one leadership, so he's down at eight. And then it put the unit he was trying to give the buff to to another minus one. So they took, I can't remember how, right? But it was at leadership seven. And then right. it was leadership six. Jeez. And I didn't know what was happening. And it was bad, Paul. <laughs> and then stuff started running away. The crossbows the ran worst. away. <laughs> it's the worst when shit happens and you don't know what's happening until it's too late. 
I was like, it was turn three, and I was looking at the table, and like both crossbows had disappeared. Oh, by the way, the totem beasts are back. They're <laughs> they're <laughs> eating my uh, my war machines. Um, the big block's just standing there unmolested because he's not shooting the big block. He's taking out everything else. And the chickens were sitting in the back line because I I decided that I wasn't going to try and push. I was just going to wait. I'd pushed out the scoring knight unit to sit on the objective because it was uh, hold the center. Um, and a jabber had charged them in the flank and eaten them. So now he was had the objective with a unit of mongrels. So he was winning the objective. He was out shooting me, and everything was running away. This was not how the game was meant to go. <laughs> <laughs> So I realised too late that I needed to push. Um, and when I pushed, everything just fell apart. And yeah. um, Tim played the first three turns excellently. He he really punished me for the stupid mistakes I was making. I think he thought that he, was, he had the win in the bag. And he just left me ways to get out. It's like the thing that you know Furion says. You don't give your opponent chances to get lucky. And like he'd left me a couple charges. Like kind of longish charges. And actually, not that long. It just left me charges and overruns and stuff like that. And uh, basically, the big block managed to get in. And through the rockets and the big block, I took out the his shooters, uh, a couple of his chaff units, the a couple of the cyclopses. And then the chickens pushed up and just started picking up points from the middle of the field. So it actually finished 10-10 on points, unbelievably. Wow. It should never have been that close. But then Tim had had held the objective in the middle for longer than me, so he got the objective. So it finished 13-7 at Tim. Wow. Sounds like a pretty crazy game. Oh, it was cr- super crazy, and uh, it was really good fun. Um, I love yeah. playing against Tim, so it was really good. But I think Tim was quite rightly um, a bit annoyed at himself in the kind of last half of the game. And we were talking a lot about it afterwards. And uh, I should never have been that close. That should have been a massive win to Tim. Because I, I didn't deserve to be anywhere near that, because I, I played like dog shit. And I was looking at the table at the end of that turn three and thinking, this is going to be a 16 or a 17 to, to Tim. At least yeah. it could go even higher. And yeah, I think Tim just gave me a couple of opportunities which I was able to get off. So well, that's it. I mean, if, if yeah. your opponent gives you them, you, you can't not take them. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was the only option left to me. I had to push or I wasn't getting any points. Yeah. But I should have just done that from the offset. I shouldn't have tried to shoot. I should have just gone for them. It's quite a, a unique list that you have never played against so you know next time you run into it you think right okay you shouldn't can actually be pretty effective but i'm just gonna have to run at them yeah it was just uh, 100% just not appreciating the list looking at it and thinking it was dog shit and thinking i would just rock up and shoot it off and tim very rightly punished me for being a dick <laughs> um i'm i'm right in saying that it's quite a, a nicely painted b-serge army he's got beautifully painted yeah. Um, there was a lot of lovely armies on show, and the lovely Matthew Paris won the Best Painted Award for his oh, yeah. incredibly painted Orson Goblin's army. However, I think that Tim's was the nicest army there. Looked pretty cool. I did see a couple of pictures of it somewhere. I think it might have been Twitter. Incredibly well done. I genuinely, I think I recognised his list by the amount of dogs, because I had a conversation with Tim about how <laughs> he had a, a Warriors list back in the day, and it was just all dogs. And... Uh, I saw that and I was like, there's quite a lot of dogs there. I wonder if, <laughs> I wonder if this is Tim's. Yep. And then I spotted the three uh, the three Cyclopses and it goes, yep, that's Tim's. Yep, that's Tim. But uh, it looked really nice. It did a really good job. Oh, yeah. It was a beautifully painted army. And um, I think I wasn't the only person that underestimated that list over the course of the weekend, which is why Tim did pretty well. He did. He did really well. Yeah, he ended up with 58 uh, TPs at the end of the, end of the weekend, which is very good. 
for, especially for that list, because looking at that list, you're not thinking it's going to be anywhere near that. Yeah, considering the... We were kind of talking about this earlier, the, considering the kind of calibre of players that were there, yep. it was quite an elite uh, group of people playing, so the kind of podium within the top 30 is really good. And like you say, with a list that's somewhat um, more unconventional, that's even more impressive. So. Yeah, yeah, but it was really good fun. Uh, it was great to play Tim, but I genuinely don't think it should have been that close. I think Tim should have really punished me in that game, so I think I got very lucky to get the points I did there. Okay, so uh, who was your last opponent? So my last opponent was um, the man, the myth, the legend, Nav Hussein. So Nav brought Ox and Goblins, uh, and then okay. for this one it was Counter Thrust and Breakthrough. Um, and I love Nav's list. He basically went for a, a feral theme, so All he right. had um, a massive block of uh, feral Ed Bashers, two or three units, I don't know, it was three units of um, just feral orcs uh, for his core. He had two spiders, two wrecking teams, two get launchers, boar chariot, and a unit of goblin chariots and his characters. It's like, again, it's a run list. He was going to run at me. Yeah. Um, it was counter thrust, which is ideal for me because um, I can sit deep, uh, and he's always going to run at me anyway. So I actually felt very confident going into this game. This is a thing, like over- Andrew's overconfidence. This should be a theme that you're all picking <laughs> up on. Because uh, I thought, like, he's going to run at me. He's not got any armor. He's just got his six up board. It's fine. It's cool. I'm, I'm not going to be able to panic him, obviously, because he's ferals. Uh, so it's cool. I've got this. So, turn one. Nav drops for first turn. Unsurprisingly, he gets it. Okay. Nav runs at me. I shoot Nav. I do a lot of damage, but I don't kill anything. Turn two. Nav gets Totemic Beasts on. (laughs) (laughs) Totemic Beasts eat my war machines. (laughs) I shoot him. I do a lot of damage. And at the end of turn two, Nav actually started pulling stuff back. So the spiders pulled back. The the units of ferals had pulled back. Apart from... Everything pulled back apart from this big massive block of head bashers. Because I, I was shooting everything else. I was kind of leaving them. Because in my head I was thinking, if I take everything else off, I'll let that big block get in, and my big block will hit it, and I can kind of get stuff in there as well, because I'll be able to hold them in place while the other stuff can finish them off. Um, and I'd sent a unit of chickens and the knight unit round one side to run over into his object, uh, sorry, his deployment zone to get the objective at the end of the game. So I was feeling pretty good. Um, I'm picking up points here and there, uh, but not a huge amount, because stuff like the ferals, obviously you can't, you can't panic them off. So he was pulling them back, and there was maybe like you know five, six ferals in the units that got away. But you know that's still points conservation. So he did that, and then the big block got in, and fucking hell, they hit so hard. He he overran on his turn into my big block. So I threw the skirmishers out to chaff. Yeah. I flanked him with one unit of crossbows, essentially just for res, and you know yeah. fighting fighting three ranks, so it's all right. And then I managed to clip him with a unit of chickens. And I thought, okay. this is it. Game over. This is going to be a massive swing to me. And then we rolled the dice. And fucking hell, they hit so hard, the ferals. <laughs> um, we beat the ever-living shit out of each other. And I just won combat by one. And this was turn six. Um, and then he made his break check, which was fine. Cause he, I mean, he was going to make that anyway, because he was re-rolling. But yeah, we, I mean, he, he didn't have a lot left. And the next round would actually been really interesting. Because he would have lost Born to Fight. I think I would have had him actually if it had gone on another round, but it didn't. That was turn six. Um, and then very cleverly, he threw the spiders out kind of in a really wide way to stop the chickens and the knights running over for the objective. 
Ah, uh, okay, cool. With hindsight, I should have just charged the spider with them. In my head, I was thinking that I won't win that, and I won't win it in one turn. But actually, I had nothing to lose last game. I knew the yeah. score was going to be tight, but in my head, I was like, I'm not going to give him points. But actually, it was worth the gamble there, and I should have done that. I should have gone for it. I mean, I think I would have won combat, and then he's tested on six. So it was definitely worth the gamble. And then I forget the overrun and get the objective as well. But I didn't do that because I'm a pussy. So, <laughs> so um, it finished. Got 12 8 to nav. Yeah, it was 11 9 to me on points. But then I've got the objective, so it finished 12 8 to him. So another quite close game then. Yeah, super close. Uh, nav was really good fun to play against as well because Nav was staying in the, the same hotel as us. Yeah. So we'd been getting breakfast with him in the morning and stuff and chatting away. So, um,. He was super opponent, really good fun, and a lovely game to finish up on because it was very chill, very relaxed, and very good fun. So, finishing up, you had a grand total of forty-eight points. Yeah. So I finished forty-third out of a pool of seventy-six, which is really good. I think that's a bit shit, to be honest. But <laughs> dude, if I went to that event and I got that points, I'd be fucking ecstatic. <laughs> yeah. So I got. 48 tournament points. I got 12,082 victory points. Yeah, it's a lot of which, shit. Yeah, I was actually pretty happy with that because that's a lot. That's a good taking. But as you might have been able to figure out while listening to all this, um, the key failure of myself and the list over the weekend was the failure to compete for secondaries. Mm. Um, I mean, I lost the secondary in four out of five games, which isn't good enough. And, you know, that cost me in it was stupid to say it cost me in every game because of course it did but I mean it, it cost me the win against Nav um, it turned a draw into a loss against Tim and um, in the Sylvan Elf game against uh, Tim Ross you know that was a point where I could have harvested a lot more points but I gave that up so I think part of that was the list obviously because it's quite static it's very shitty but also I think that I didn't play aggressive enough when I should have so that cost me a lot of secretary points which is unfortunate yeah I mean if you Obviously, this take this for what it's worth, but say you didn't lose those nine points across the three games for for secondaries. Yeah, that takes you up to thirtieth place. Yeah. So that's a big jump. Massive jump, yeah. Yeah, considering that it's what can seem like a fairly small component of each game, it's a huge swing, and you know that's bumping you up to. What, like 13 places yeah so I mean the middle bracket was super tight uh, I mean it is the difference between um, 22nd place and 43rd was 10 points yeah so it's really tight. yeah it's super tight in that middle of the pack but yeah I just I mean it was nothing new it was my big takeaway from the Scottish Championship was my failure to compete for secondaries so I did hee haw about that and did compete for secondaries <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm kicking myself a wee bit because I think this list was kind of a bit more aggressive with the bigger units of chickens, so I should have been able to push for them a bit more, but, uh, you know, it's lesson learned. At the Scottish Championships, you had units of three chickens, right? Yep. So this was the kind of the first time you'd really run this list to any, like, real test? I don't know. You know a couple of practice games. Yeah, I don't think I can use that excuse because, I mean, the core component of the list hasn't changed in something like 30 games, so... Sure, but you're, I mean... Adding that extra chicken, you effectively can use that unit in, in a different way. Yeah. So it's it's getting to grips with that and, like you say, just adopting that more aggressive 
uh, style. Yeah, I mean, this is a big thing for me because I'm not an aggressive player. Mm. Uh, I'm very reactionary and very defensive. And I think that's really starting to hurt me in secondaries. And it's just, you know, this is an experience thing as well. The more games you play, these are the things you pick up on. And um, I really need to sort that out at tournaments because it's costing me points. Like we say, it's a, it was a big event, but a lot of really good players representing a lot of the different ETC teams. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, and just to kind of hammer that home a little bit, if you look at the difference between the 10th and the 20th spot, it's six points. Yeah, that's crazy. It's super, super, super tight. So I think going down there and getting those points and winning the games that you, you, you won... I think is really good and I mean is this, would it be fair to say that this is probably the hardest event you've been at in terms of calibre of player I think yeah in terms of the, the event overall all the top players were there essentially um, so it was super to go and really test yourself um, I mean I ended up playing Tim and Ed which is quite funny <laughs> but like Tim and Ed are good players so you exactly. know that's fine yeah I think that it was just yeah it was just decisions um, it's the kind of thing that you know you think about later on like uh, maybe I should have pushed a little bit harder there, or maybe I should have done that a little bit differently. But this is why we go to tournaments. We go to to learn and to test ourselves. So, absolutely. And just to give Ed his due, your um hundred percent co-conspirator representing the Scottish ETC, the Scottish ETC, Scottish uh, Wildlings, and I suppose Scottish ETC. Yep. He did really well. He came twenty seventh. He did, and he got best in race for Oaks and Goblins, which was yeah. fifty eight. Quite points. the achievement. Yeah. I mean, the, the list he, he came up with is, I think it's more Ed's kind of style to what yeah. he had at the, the Scottish event, um, more aggressive, and it's it's quite a fun list as well. Yeah. It's got a lot of cool units in there, it's not just picking the most stereotypical build, I think he's he's taken some time to really think about what he wants to run, and he's came up with something that's obviously pretty effective, so it'll be interesting to see if that kind of filters through and other people start running stuff that are actually similar to that. Yeah. I mean, it's like the opposite to me. He's very aggressive in his <laughs> playstyle. So I think that definitely that switch to a more aggressive, pushy list was, you know, yeah. it made him play the way he wanted to play, which is obviously going to get him better results. Yeah, and actually, absolutely. testament to how well did Ed, sorry, how, how well did, how well Ed did, um, is he played Tanker round three and Tanker 20 them, and he still, he still managed to get 58 points out of the four games. That's bananas. So that's that's really good. I mean, I think Ed should be really proud of his performance over the weekend. Yeah, that's an average of 14 points over four games. It's really good. That's that's really fucking good. I mean, even if he if he had managed to pick up even five points, say, against Tanker, then that would have put him up. Oh yeah, like he's in the, the top in the, bracket. He's, there. He's, in the, he's on the top 20 now. Yeah, that's. In fact, he's he's joint 14th. I mean, the same so, goes um, for uh, for John Turner because John played Dan Thomas in the first game and Dan 20'd John and John ended up with 63 points to the end. He came in 15th. So, you know, there was a, a number of really excellent performances over the weekend that maybe the scoreboard doesn't really reflect. But that's that's not to take away the guys that finished because obviously they, they, they're there for a reason. They got the points. Yeah, it just kind of speaks to the point that the it was a really strong group of people. Yeah. quite a lot of really good experienced players and it kind of just hammers home the point that you know tournament results probably aren't the best means for balance in a game yeah no but it sounds like a really good event it was it was super good fun um yeah and the actual the, the atmosphere was excellent at element games uh because everyone was kind of hanging around and you know talking to each other and having drinks and stuff and um, the only bad thing was 
it was so many people to get around and talk to. Like, yeah. um, I, I briefly got to say hi to uh, uh, Tony from the the Fantasy Wargaming podcast, but I never got to speak to Paul. Um, okay. So, the, you know, there was guys there that you wanted to go and talk to, but you know, <laughs> it's hard to get around everyone. Yeah, you almost need a week. Exactly. Of, uh, yeah. Of games. It to needs to be a festival. Yeah. Oh, dude, someone should do that. Welcome to Siege 2019. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be four days. <laughs> Buckle up. We'll give the winners their due. So in first Those place was uh, Car Seasling with Vampire Counts with a, an amazing 88 points. I'm really glad you uh, opted to start that because I had no idea how to pronounce that chat <laughs> name and I really didn't want to offend anyone. So Car um, so plays for the, the Danish ATC team. Oh, nice. Um, but 88 points out of five games, that's pretty phenomenal. It's bananas. Yeah. Um, and second place was the fantastic Dan Thomas with Empire Sonstall representing. Yeah. Because Felix and I did pretty dog shit over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to kind of, people might not realise, but Dan's, we were we were talking about this earlier, I think this is the third tournament he's, he's podiumed or he's came top and he's this is the third army that he's actually used to get there, so... He's obviously like a super good player. Dan is like the rain man of ninth age. <laughs> he's insane. He just he sees things that no one else can see. Yeah. I think if uh, he actually like sat down and like really bashed out a list and played an army, you know, really hardcore, that he would, <laughs> he would just win everything that he touches. <laughs> um, but he's because he's part of the rules team now. He's he's testing out all the books and he's testing out units that are apparently underperforming as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean that's probably. Yeah, that's a good sign that obviously they've got people that kind of know what they're talking 100%, about. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, and then in third place was Slatch with Demon Legions with seventy-five points, which was very good as well. Fourth place was Tom Budin with Undying Tom Dynasties, Budin, yeah. seventy-four points. Fifth was Haristo with Dwarven Holes, seventy-four points. Mikey Newman with Dread Elves, seventy-two points was sixth. Seventh was Colin with Saurian Ancients, again at seventy-two points. Jack Chapman with Vermin Swarm, 71. Chris Legg at 9th with Vampire Counts, 69. And the one and only Tanka at 10th with Warriors, with 66. Yep. So a, quite a good spread of armies. Yeah, decent spread. Um, there was a lot of talk about vampires um, after the event, just because Carr was able to do so well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about this, the kind of the, the, the takeaways and the trends. Because you've done a lot of statistical analysis, because you're smart. <laughs> well, I've not done any stats. I should say that now. No, really just, we've got to fool the listeners into the thinking. <laughs> we know what we're talking about, Paul. I've, I've done some pretty basic uh, descriptive uh, stuff. So, just because it was a fair-sized tournament, seventy-six players, and I was quite obviously I didn't go, but I was quite interested in kind of breaking it down and trying to look at any potential trends that we can kind of look at within the Ninth Age UK meta. So if you look at the kind of average number of points that each army was picking up and then you rank them, it's quite interesting. So you've actually got, if you ignore the Demon Legion result, because there was only one player. Um, sorry, Slatch. Yeah, sorry. You did, I mean, you came third. You obviously did awesome. <laughs> you've had your but, moment. Uh, Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. When it, when it comes to this, we can't really, you know, deal very much with just one player's result but um, if you kind of take that away the top army is actually Saurian Ancients um, with an average of about 63 uh, victory points 
and that's across five players, so that's a decent spread. Yeah. And then just below that, you've got BC. Again, that's across six different players. They were picking up about 62 points. And then, interestingly, third is Empire. Across eight different players, they were picking up an average of 55, which is a bit of a jump um, between the, from the top and second. <laughs> between me but and I mean, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I think the Empire result's a bit of a surprise. I think Saurians in BC, I think, I mean, for a while, I think people would have said they're two very strong books. But I think with the changes that Empire have had in the last few months, I think that's yep. quite interesting. I mean, there are... Do you think that's a fair showing? I think there's some things you've got to take into consideration. Like, Dan is obviously... I think Dan's probably the best player. He's not He's not got the results to, you know, set that in stone. Because yeah. if he played an army consistently, I'm sure he would. But I think he's probably the best player in, in the country. Um, and he was playing. He brought Empire to this one, so he did very well. Um, the other top Empire player was Raf, who came in eleventh. Um, and Raf is, a, you know, an insanely good player as well. So that kind of not skews it, but offsets it a wee bit. Um, and then we had Kai coming in twentieth with Empire, and then the rest of us were kind of middle of the pack. So uh, Kevin Weaver, Felix, and myself, we were all kind of <laughs> mid pack and slightly below mid pack for me. <laughs> So I think that the book's in a good place. The book's very strong. I don't think it's at the level of, you know, VC and Saurian Ancients, but I think it's definitely, you know, below that halfway line. I think it's probably up, upper middle of the pack, which is a good place to be. I think that's where all the books kind of are aiming for. So Yeah, um, I mean, it's difficult. You're never going to get every book to be on par. There's no. always going to be stronger books, and that's just a result of what people are playing in your area and trying to balance that across an entire game. It's yep. going to be nigh impossible, so... Like what we were saying before, I think looking at the kind of results like this, I think it's quite interesting to kind of consider your kind of local scene. Yep. But for trying to draw any kind of concrete conclusions as to the wider game is just you can't really do that. The numbers don't really allow you to do that. So. Yeah. Um, but no, that's quite interesting. I think um, if you kind of take those three armies away, if you look at the next top three, um, you're talking. Beast Herds, Dwarven Holds, and Highborn Elves. Again, I think Dwarven Holds is in a pretty strong spot. Yeah. Highborn Elves as well, I think, are, are pretty good. What do you think about Beast Herds doing so well at the event? I mean, there were only three people playing Beast Herds, so it's not a huge spread, but um, do you think that book's in a good spot just now? When people started moaning about Beast Herds, um, after the same people are you talking about, Nick? No, I, I would never name... I can't... No, I'm not bashing Nick two episodes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> some people were critical <laughs> of the uh, the Beast Herd book in 2.0 update. Not because the Beast Herd book had really changed, but because other books had changed and um, there was a, a general consensus on the Beast Herd form that because of changes in the rule book and in other army books, the Beast Herds have slipped down quite a lot. Um, at first, I completely disregarded this as absolute bullshit, but I think that there's probably something in that argument. I don't think it's to the extent that, you know, Beast Herds are shit and no one plays them anymore. Um, I just think the Beast Herds have slipped down quite a few rungs. I think they're now middle... middle. They're definitely still mid-tier, but um, they're certainly not anywhere near the dominant force that they used to be. I mean, who did we have playing Beast Herds? We had uh, Luke Williams was playing, who's an excellent player. We had um, Luke Tranter and and Tim, of course, Tim. Yep. So, I mean, all of them are very experienced tournament players. 
so that probably helps them if anything um, in their their final scores. So yeah, they've definitely fallen from grace. Uh, I'm not convinced that they're you know they're a shit book. And actually, I think that if you look at the the actual spreads, like you were saying, apart from Saurian Ancients, who are definitely you know the stronger book. I mean, no no single book dominated. There's a pretty healthy spread all the way through. So I think that that's a really good sign about the overall balance. And you're never going to get it perfect, like you were saying. But yeah. I think that this is a good sign that it's pretty close to being as balanced as you can make it, I think. What's interesting, the, all of the Saurian Ancient lists, and as I say, there are five of them, all of them are, are within the top half. Yeah. And interestingly, all three of the Beastars lists are in the top half. Yeah. So the people that brought them did do well. And you've got to start taking into so, consideration player skill as well. I mean, there's five Saurian yeah, Ancient absolutely. lists as well. Is that right? Five? Uh, yeah, five. So the players are Colin Power, Jake Cortine, Mark Greensill, Hugh Scarlin, and Will Goodman. You will yeah. recognise all, if not most, of those names. And that's that's testament to the players. So yeah. that kind of, it definitely has an impact on the, on the standings. And yeah, this exactly. is you know, part of the reason why we can't just take tournament data as is. I don't think this is a criticism of players, but I think it's fair to say that on the whole, good players tend to bring strong armies to tournaments. I agree. I think I think good players tend to take books which they can in the nicest possible way get the most out of. Yeah, I don't, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with anyone doing that. I no, mean, neither anyone do I, can yeah. bring anything what they want. I mean, that's perfectly fine. But I think it would be unusual to see a very top-class very competitive player bring a book which for the most part is suboptimal or is struggling within the current meta whatever book that might be yeah agreed so if you look at the next kind of uh, section of books it's sylvan elves infernal dwarves and vermin swarm and then the last kind of group are dread elves warriors and ogres uh, not ogres uh orcs and goblins uh, there's a few armies there we haven't mentioned but that's simply because from the results they weren't represented enough to kind of draw any kind of meaningful uh, data from so which is interesting because we were talking about this before and like from this you, you might look at it and think oh dread elves are not particularly good and yet at the the world championships which just were there like dread elves were probably one of the top armies yep and in germany and the scandinavian countries they're doing very well yeah so, so it's I think within metas, it's quite interesting. There are obviously differences as to what is effective, uh, which I suppose everyone knows anyway. But it's it's interesting comparing it across countries. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, a very good event, and you would uh, recommend it for anyone. Hundred percent. Yeah. To. No, really, really enjoyed it. I had five good games. Everyone was really nice, really accommodating. You know, there was loads of people just kind of sitting around having a beer at the end of the day, and it was just it was really nice. And for a big, I mean, this was the biggest singles event. Uh, Ninth Edge has had in the UK yet, yeah. and for it to be so big and to have really, like international guys coming to it, it, it was surprisingly chill. It was really yeah. nice. Uh, you know, there was still a lot of you know, kind of camaraderie and joking about and having drinks and stuff like that. It wasn't you know super serious. You know, <laughs> well, it wasn't anywhere yeah. where I was playing, but that might be. Yeah, because... <laughs> if you look at the the kind of photographs and stuff of the event. I mean, everyone looked like they were having a good time and. I think that should help kind of assuage anyone's kind of concerns. We've kind of talked about this before, about people that might want to go to a tournament, but they're a little bit worried that they might just find it a little bit too intimidating. So yeah. 
I think as as soon as you go to one event and you meet people, and then you go to the next one, and you're like, oh, that's there's such and such, and oh, I recognize oh, 100%. that person from the last yeah, yeah. event. It's just immediately more welcoming. And it's really nice because you you see the same faces. So like at this one, it was yeah. nice to see you know like all the DTC guys, and then see guys like Dan Thomas who I haven't seen in a while, and even like Tanka. Like I played Tanka at Midlands, and I was chatting to him for a bit. So. And then meeting, you know, Tony from the podcast, it's just, it's a great opportunity to meet guys and, you know, to catch up with your pals that you've not seen for a while, so. Yeah, absolutely. So, talking about big events, we've got a, a big event coming up in a couple of weeks. Flawless segue, Paul. You're getting so good at this. I was waiting for it. I was like, right, I need to wait until we're talking about something that I can actually try this <laughs> Yeah, so Carinade is a big wargaming show. It's the biggest in Scotland, I think it's fair to say. Claymore held on to that title for a long time, but I think over recent years, I don't think there's much doubt that Carinade's now bigger. Um, it's organised by Falkirk District Wargames Club. It takes place in Graham High School in Falkirk, and this year it will be on the 12th of May. It's essentially like a one-day festival for wargaming, where you have all sorts of uh, systems and miniature sellers and accessory sellers and anything linked to the hobby sellers. You know, paints, brushes, terrain... All sorts. Um, and you've also got shed loads of demonstration games where clubs come on and put demo games on, and also participation games where people can come and have uh, have a go. So um, we, as the Scottish Wildlands, are lucky enough to be putting on a demo game. I've actually never been involved with demo games before, so I'm actually quite looking forward to it. Neither have I. So also, hopefully we don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure. So it's going to be you, myself, and Martin. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be running it. Um, we've done a kind of cool custom scenario, which will yeah. see my empire up against your warriors, uh, and I'll hopefully be receiving reinforcements from Sylvan Elves at some point in the day. <laughs> if not, it'll be a very short game. <laughs> Martin just might like, yeah, you know nah. what? I'm not getting involved. It wouldn't even surprise me with Martin. Let's be serious. <laughs> He'd probably just do it to spite me. <laughs> Oh, he definitely would. Oh, 100%. 100%. He would do that. He would let me kill you, and then he would just kill me. Yeah, he just and he'd take all the glory. Yeah, and then bitch that someone else are rubbish. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're not a good book, Paul. They're not. It should be really good. So it's it's interesting because there's obviously... um, This is something that people are talking about a lot on the Ninth Age forums just now. It's about promoting the Ninth Age. Yeah. And uh, conventions is something that's been talked about in particular. Uh, some of the big events over in Europe and Germany and such that uh, people are looking to maybe take advantage of to yep. try and promote the game. So this is a really good opportunity for us to try and grow the game, certainly in Scotland. I'd say we've been doing pretty well in the last kind of 12 months. I think we have, yeah. I think we've grown from about maybe 7 or 8 players to about 12, which can sound a little bit modest, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if we have a good turnout You know, at one of the monthly meets, then that's like, I don't know, 6 tables? Are people playing Ninth Age yep. compared to half that a year ago? So I think that's really good. So. 100%. Yeah, I think it's all about steady growth. Um, yeah. It's something we've we've all talked about in the, the club chat and things like that. It's just about, you know, if we can convince one or two guys every you know few months to try it. Um, and actually in our group, we're, we all play regularly, you know, at least once a month. At least once a month we all play. So, yeah. you know, you've got a group there of, you know, 12 guys that are playing every single month at Common Ground. So um, it's a fantastic base we've got now, and selfishly, uh, Karen needs a fantastic opportunity for us to try and get new guys to play against. 
you know, try and get more guys into the, the you know, ninety drill set and coming along and giving us games. Yeah. But from a broader perspective as well, it's all about getting people more interested in the project overall. Because I think we need that. We we need fresh blood coming in, and we don't want it to get to the stage where it's the same guys playing it. You always want to see fresh faces at stuff like tournaments and stuff. So events like this are a great opportunity to try and attract those kind of people. Yeah, I mean, how many people came to Carinade last year? I think there was there was in the region of two thousand, I think, over the course of the day. I mean, there's companies that turn up. Uh, for like the the vendor stalls and Carinade equates to you know fifty to eighty percent of their yearly you know income just because they they manage to sell so much. So I think how popular fantasy was at its height. You know, there's a good chance that you know a massive percentage of those people have played fantasy in the past or know about it. So even if you can convince them to come along, you know, have a wee look at it, and if they're interested, you know, they can have a shot and have a turn. And see if they enjoy it, and then that may be enough to convince them to come down to one of our meets and give it a go. And that's that's how you get new blood in the game. Absolutely. But um, this whole conversation on the forum has been really interesting about you know just general ways to promote it because it's it sparked this whole debate about how do how do we grow the game? Because mm-hmm. obviously we're not in the position of you know Mantic or Games Workshop or uh, Mears where you've got a miniature line that you can promote with a rule set and you're you're kind of providing everything for the people. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of individuality involved in the hobby, which is a good thing. I mean, we talked about that in the last podcast about the uh, the hobby inside of things. Yeah. But it doesn't make it particularly easy to get people involved. So it's kind of sparked this whole debate. So, um, what do you think? Like, what are what do you see as the best ways for us to get more people in? I think you really need proactive people in these groups that are willing to put the time in, and it is a big investment with regards to time and effort. But I think doing things like going to other gaming groups and you know bringing a couple of armies bringing some information and just saying maybe just letting people know that you're going to be there and say we're coming along if anyone wants to you know give the game a go we'll take you through it if you want to give it a try yeah um, i think most places in the uk there's there's quite a good tradition of war gaming clubs so if you kind of think geographically like certainly within scotland you've got gaming groups in dundee sterling Edinburgh, Ayrshire, Lanarkshire. I mean, these are all potential pools of people that you know you could get into ninth. Most of these places have people that have at some point in their gaming career played Warhammer or other fantasy games. So I think you would ideally want a group of people just to kind of be visiting these sites and bringing Ninth Age along and trying to get people involved that way. I think the online presence that we've got is very good. Having rules and different kind of resources on hand for free is like fantastic yeah but that only gets you so far i mean if you've never heard of ninth then all that's for nothing you need someone to say there's a game out there called ninth age and this is how you play obviously there's a quite a good growing group of people doing podcasts and they're doing battle reports and stuff which is very good but at the end of the day you need you need people playing it in all these different places to draw people in i mean we're at common ground at least twice a month i mean there's 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 guys here that go during the week i mean they're, we're probably there more than twice a month and yet over the course of 12 yeah. months we've we've maybe grew by five people which doesn't sound like a lot but that's the amount of time it seems to take so the longer we go without actually investing in this as a strategy i think it's that's what's going to take the time to grow the game because you're always going to have people coming but you're always going to have people leaving the game yeah so you, you need to be making that conscious effort so i think the biggest thing is really having people involved that are proactive 
and that are willing to kind of turn up and put in FaceTime with people and just try and get them involved in the game at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, yeah, I totally agree. If you were in charge, what would you be doing, do you think? I mean, it's hard because, you know, it all comes back to this. It's still a voluntary organisation. It's still a voluntary project. Yeah. Um. So the, the biggest problem the project has is staffing. 100% that's the biggest issue. It's just that there's there's not enough bodies to do everything that needs done. Um, so to to have another team set up, you know, just for promotion is you know it would be the ideal situation, but it's that's more bodies you need, and it's more time investment that you're asking people to do. Um, so I, I agree. I think it falls to people within existing gaming groups that are playing ninth to really you know take it upon themselves to promote it. You know, like what we're doing. And I know that um, Jack Austin's been on because he's the head of the community engagement team, and he's talking about you know trying to organise a, a stall at Salute next year which is the UK's biggest gaming show so I think there's stuff happening now which is good to see I think we just need to continue doing it and I mean I've got no doubt there's people playing ninth that aren't affiliated there'll be guys playing in you know their homes or playing at clubs and have no interest oh, in playing yeah I mean some of them will have no interest in getting involved with you know kind of the project as a whole which is fine but I think there's definitely people out there that are interested that just they need the opportunity to get involved. I mean, if you look at the the map on the forum, just the amount of registered users across the UK is massive, and you know that's much bigger than the actual active playing base that we know of. So I think it's just so important that we keep trying to get new people in and we keep doing stuff like demo games and club nights and you know even stuff like if your if your clubs meeting regularly, keep on putting out on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, get people knowing because it's just about providing an opportunity to come along one of our newest members, Fraz he lives in Glasgow he, he didn't play 8th edition I don't think he's kind of brand new, I think he, can, he maybe had some models and stuff but he never actually actively played and now he's an active member of the, the team and he's coming along and playing regularly and it was just the opportunity, he found us through the, the website, the forum he got in contact with us, he's coming along to the monthly meets now, now he's part of the team and I think just clubs across the UK and you know across the world need to keep on doing that because that's how you get people involved. That's reliant on those teams, you know, putting in the effort to have an online presence. Yeah. Because we we've got Twitter, we've got a Facebook page. Obviously, we're I'd say for the most part, most of the people in our group are all fairly active on the forums. So we do have that kind of online presence, so people know that there is that as a resource that you know if they're interested to that you know there's someone to contact so yeah i think it is again it, it kind of comes down to individuals because as you say there's probably a lot of people just playing and they're playing for fun and they're not interested in taking it further than that you know they don't need to be on the forums like as much as we are it's hard i would love to say in the next 12 months that we get another six to eight players like it'd be great to say oh there's 20 people in our club yeah that play ninth eight regularly um and i think that's achievable I mean, there's certainly been people that have reached out to us that they've said that they're interested. It's maybe going to take them a little bit of time to get to the point where they can play from yep. a wargaming perspective. So they're still buying things and learning to paint, etc. Which is but all part of the process. Yeah, you've got to help, yeah, exactly. help those people get yeah. in it. Yeah. And we've had people, you know, even from abroad to say, oh, they're going to be moving to Scotland at some point and, you know, they're definitely going to look us up when they do come over and stuff. So. It's good. It's kind of an exciting time to be in the hobby in the sense that it, because it is growing and it's always developing and you can kind of be involved with it. So I suppose just to kind of echo what you were saying, if people are listening and, you know, they've maybe considered getting more involved in the hobby, then they should definitely try and reach out to people and say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to help. 
even if it's within a fairly small capacity, it's I mean it all adds up. So yeah, 100%. like I say, they're always looking for new people. And I think it's really important that I mean you're always going to get guys that have you know don't want to, any part of that and they just want to play the game, which is 100% fine. I mean people have very limited free time, so if they just want to do that, it's cool. But I think clubs especially need to be promoting the game because it, it's not fully you know selfless act. You know you, you get. The, the positive that you're getting more people to play against you're expanding your local scene and that's the only way the scenes grow and if you don't do that scenes will start dwindling and i think we've been able to see that in a number of places over in the states where mm-hmm. i don't think clubs have been actively promoting the game like that they've just kind of been expecting people who played eighth to keep on playing this so we're getting to the stage now where it's not the same game as eighth you know there's huge similarities let's be serious but it is a different game and We've got to start treating it like a, a separate game. And got to start advertising it as that and getting more people involved and getting people who have no pre-existing connection to um, old fantasy to get them on and get them in and playing. Yeah, I mean, that's effectively the future of the game is brand new players. Yep. So I guess that's a, a separate question is, do you think that that requires a, a specific kind of a method to kind of bring these people in? Do you think you have to kind of go about it differently? I don't know. I think the, the general appeal for rank-and-file fantasy... It's probably our biggest boon because it's only really us and Mantic that do it like that. I mean, you, you've got Dragon Rampant, but it's much smaller scale. Um, I can't off the top of my head think of anything else. You know, even stuff like... I've thought about this a lot. Like Warhammer Total War, when it came out, was hugely successful. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was due to players who played the you know tabletop version. They've gone to Age of Sigmar and they missed that kind of mass rank and foul. And there must have been lots of people who picked up that game and go, oh, you know, that's that's really cool. Um, I'll check out this thing. And then they find out it's, you know, Age of Sigmar, and it's not the same thing, and maybe that yeah. disconnected them. So I think there's there must be a massive pool out there who are interested in the general concept of the game. It's just advertising to them that, you know, this exists and that there's a big player base and that you can get involved. And, oh, look, the rules are free, the army book's free, you know, you can use any models you want. Look at this cool new company that's in, you know, Spain that are selling these lovely figures much cheaper than other large companies which will remain nameless so yeah i think it's just goes full circle to what we were saying it's we need to be more active as a community i think and yes that's going to fall individuals to really you know pick up the slack and do a lot of the legwork but you know we still get something out of it at the end of the day you know we're getting more players in absolutely i think we are involved to the degree that which we are involved because we enjoy it yeah and we're obviously getting something out of it so it's for all that it's you know, it takes a lot of time um, away from doing other things. It's it's worth it at the end of the day. I mean, whether that be putting time into organising events or if you're involved with a particular team and you're designing something or you're providing feedback. I think there's obviously a lot of opportunities and I dare say there will be new teams that will be popping up in the future within the project, which will probably be more geared towards the kind of PR and development and promotion of the game. Yeah. Um, which is quite exciting. I think that'll be cool. I think as well, being in a smaller country, like what we are, doesn't necessarily help. How many players do you think they've got down in England, say? Hundreds. Yeah, because there's, there's so many casual players that don't want anything to do with the casual, uh, sorry, the, the tournament team, which is absolutely fine. But if you look which... at even like the English <clears throat> Championship, you know, 76 players, you know, at least 90% of them are English players. So if your active tournament scene is like that, you know, that's pretty good. But I think this is it. I think like, what I was saying about you, you've kind of got your different areas, your different clubs. If you can kind of develop a ninth age scene within each, 
even if you've got only five or six people that play that game, but you've maybe got six or seven clubs. So of that, say, 35 to 40 players, you can maybe get one player from each club that is interested in playing at that higher level. Then that's when you can start actually building a more competitive tournament scene. Yeah. Obviously, England being a different, con- a bigger country, and, and again having a good kind of tradition of wargaming clubs to kind of support, you know, these these games as they arise. I think is very good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Scotland being the size it is is both a good thing and a bad thing for us. It's a good thing in that we can kind of promote across the country. Really, um, I mean, we've had messages from a couple guys up in Inverness who are you know really interested in playing, but unfortunate thing is that Inverness is very far away <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know it's not feasible for them to come down regularly to play which is a shame but really that is the limit of I mean because everywhere below Inverness is kind of accessible to us because we're kind of central yeah I, I would love it in the next 12 months if we could say there's like even three clubs that all have people that are playing ninth age like independently of one another, yeah. that all feed into one another when it comes to bigger events. Because we've, we've kind of got that. I mean, there's guys in Glasgow that sometimes play in the Glasgow clubs, and there's the guys through in Stirling, and then you're, you're yourself in Falkirk. But it's yeah, it's just the time it takes to get people into the game, especially if you're trying to convince people to, to give it a go, because a lot of people are playing... I mean, I only play Ninth Age. You know, other people are playing maybe like five or six different systems. Yeah. So it's it's kind of hard. You've got to try and convince people to to give it time, and yeah. obviously no one has as much hobby time as they want to have. So it's that can maybe be a hard sell at times. Yeah, and there's definitely an element of I mean this is not an easy game to pick up and learn. I think yeah. this is this is a game that rewards practice and really you know focusing on it. So it's not like Kings of War where you can kind of rock up on a you know a club night, have a game in a couple hours, and go home, and not really have to worry about it. You know, you you don't really have to. Not this isn't you know ripping into Mantic or Kings of War. It's a good system, but it's a simple system in comparison to Ninth Age. Um, so there will be guys that don't want to have that extra hassle, that aren't interested in that, and they want something like Kings of War that they can just rock up and play, which is absolutely fair enough. Um, but I think there's definitely players out there that want to play something like Ninth Age that just need the opportunity. That's where it just comes back to advertising that. Yeah, like you say, it's it maybe appeals to a certain type of person god knows i've tried to get my girlfriend into my fiance fiance rather into playing the game and yeah it's tough (laughs) see this will be a good uh, experiment for when we get the girls on so we should say that we've got a a pretty cool idea in mind for a future episode where we kind of talk about the project in relation with our better halves yeah and kind of through their eyes and, and what they think of it all so that'll be good fun i think the widows of ninth age um, so, yeah, if you if you guys are listening and you just in relation to that episode, because uh, if you have any questions you want to ask, um, so what we'll be doing is we'll get the girls on and we'll, we've we've already got some questions. Uh, we'll be yeah. putting the questions to them and seeing what the responses are. Uh, questions. So <laughs> either either questions for them from people in the hobby or questions from people with other halves. That hundred you know, percent. Yeah, yeah. If, if you want to submit something for either us or or the girls to to answer um because it's, it's a real shame that there's not more girls in the hobby yeah i mean there's a lot of girls to paint and model and things like that yeah but the, the transition onto the gaming scene isn't great um no. and i think 
wargaming in particular doesn't have a particularly sexy appeal. <laughs> so yeah, I think because I don't know if it's like a vicious circle because it is fairly like male dominated. That in of itself can be a bit of a barrier. Yeah, and you know the gaming's you know side of it aside, I think that alone is probably the contributing factor towards why maybe women just aren't you know as interested. Like I think if you had three or four girls at your club then it's going to be so much easier for other you know women to be interested because they can maybe see they can maybe relate to it a little bit easier because there's other people playing it that yeah. maybe have the same kind of sensibilities but we won't talk about that too much just now because that's kind of a spoiler for future episodes so yeah, yeah i'm looking forward to it i think it'll be fun a part fun. of me is dreading it a little bit because i'm i'm like i really don't want laura to start saying stuff i'm like god laura to stop like uh, this isn't an episode for you know telling people shit I don't really want people to know <laughs> <laughs> I told John like obviously I asked her if she wanted to do it she said yes and uh, that was her first thing she was like oh I'm going to say this on it like, that's not, not really It's not really the idea behind it JS <laughs> so it will be eventful either way I'm going to edit it obviously I edit all episodes so it's fine I can just like you know cut anything I don't want actually out there so it's fine they agreed with everything <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be us like putting on like female voices you should definitely buy more figures <laughs> <laughs> thank you honey <laughs> uh right so do you have any kind of final thoughts on the promoting side of things um i think one thing that we haven't mentioned is company support i think that's coming i think that yeah. i think that idea behind kind of pre-made starter boxes for people that want to play ninth that they can buy and it'll maybe have an army or two in it that they can at least maybe you know play it like the kind of 1500 point level get to grips yep. with the rules and such kind of use some of the star army lists that have been posted interestingly that was in the news feed recently um after i was talking about it on the last episode that um there's some online resources for people to look at uh in relation to universal battle there's some pre-made armies on there for people that want to learn the game that's very cool yeah so check that out if you're interested um mm. details are on the ninth age website but yeah, I think I think that'll be a big deal. Actually, having like something physical that you can buy that will have models in it that will make it easier for people that actually want to start playing the game. Absolutely. I mean, that to degree takes away some of the flexibility that you've got for playing what you want to play with with regards to minis. But for people that aren't as interested in that, and certainly for just learning, I think it's a really useful thing. Yeah, and then if you know someone buys a starter set and they they play the starter set with their pal and they get really into it. And then they were like, oh, actually, I don't want to play dwarves because I'm a decent human being. I'd like to try. <laughs> I'd like to try something else. So you know, there's there's still it's you know it's like what we were talking with uh, Simon and DJ about. It's a gateway, and sure. I think yeah. it's the kind of gateway that the project's probably lacking just now. Um, so hopefully that has a good effect. And I, I've seen some of the the TMS stuff with their starter set. It looks mm-hmm. very cool because uh, you're getting your uh, Kingdom Act and then. Undying Dynasties and you get some terrain bits and stuff like that it's so um, quietly optimistic yeah. about that because I think that's the kind of that's definitely something that the project as a whole needs to be pursuing as well yeah and I think as well as these companies themselves start becoming more popular yeah that will benefit that will benefit the Ninth Age yeah I think symbiotic isn't it yeah they've I think they'll do very well off the back of the project because people are promoting them because they're obviously investing their company in the project so I think um as people become more familiar with places like Avatars of War and TMS, more miniatures, these kind of uh, companies, then I think the Ninth Age will 
similarly benefit. So yeah, and more and more, like every tournament I, I go to now, there's more and more kind of different miniature companies on display. Minis. Yeah, which is really good to see. Definitely. Right. So I guess we should wrap it up. Um. So obviously, Carnage is coming up. It's on the the twelfth of May. So if you listen to this and you're in the area, come on down. Please, if you if you listen to this, come and say hi to us. Um, yeah. Come and have a chat. Uh, have a, a shot at the scenario. You'll probably do much better than uh, either Paul and I will be doing. <laughs> probably. So uh, we probably thank you for your your luck. So come see us. Uh, that'd be really cool to see people. Apart from that, we have uh, strife coming up. Yeah. So that's I want to say the fourteenth of July, Saturday, second Saturday of the month. That's the first Wildlings Run Ninth Age event of the year. So it's a a one day singles tournament three games 4500 points the pack isn't up yet but it will be very soon but um all the most of the details you can find um on in the tournament thread under stravel and strife 2018 we've still got about six or seven spots left open so if you want to come along uh it would be great to see you um we're all a bunch of nice individuals who are up for having a good time doing some dice, so please come along and we'll be going and getting a beer and stuff after it so even if you just like beer come along yeah, fine. if you're a bit of an alcoholic, it's fine. We're more than happy to <laughs> indulge. Um, and we've got good tournament support as well, so um, we'll be making a few more announcements with regards to additional companies which are on board. But so far, we've got um, Deep Cut Studios and we've got Spellcrow sponsoring the event. We've also got uh, Reaper Minis and we also have Creature Caster, which have recently signed up as well. If you're not familiar with Creature Caster, they've got some amazing kind of monstrous minis you can check out good for demon legions warriors they've got some sylvan elf stuff a lot of cool dragons um, yeah dragons of all various sizes so check them out they're going to be sponsoring the event so if you want to get your hands on some free creature caster stuff then you should definitely sign up 100 percent. um just to give a shout out to upcoming events uh we've got call to war and call to paint on the 5th and 6th of may um if you're going to that you'll need to i think actually that might have closed for tickets but you can definitely give Will a shout if you're interested uh, so that's Will Goodwin that's organising that there's also the Vale Renegades open in Cardiff uh, on the 16th and 17th of June I think they've got about 26 people I think last time I checked they had um, Yeah. and the Vale guys are all really good guys I was talking to Ollie um, down at TEC uh, really standout guys good laugh so if you're in the area and you fancy that definitely head along it'll be be a good time and then we're getting in the ETC kind of territory after that. Uh, I know that there is a tournament in Midlands in August, I believe, uh, which is going to run parallel to the ETC. Then it's the ETC itself, and then we'll have Siege in the in the autumn. So lots of tournaments, as always. Lots of tournaments. And, of course, we'll be down at the uh, at Common Ground. So if anyone's around and fancies uh, coming on down, you can probably just get us there. There's normally people there almost every week. Yeah, um, or you can get us on Facebook at Scottish Wildlands or Twitter at Scottish Ninth Age uh, or you can drop us an email at scottishwildlands at gmail.com and if you've got any questions for the upcoming prerequisite to divorce um, and, and breakup uh, you can fire them in and we'll, uh, we'll save up all those questions and ask the girls when they come on uh, in a future episode yeah definitely I mean we don't get a lot of questions uh, submitted which is fair enough but 
<laughs> I think for that particular episode, I think it would be really good to get some on. I think that'd make it even more fun than I think it's going to be. So absolutely, and uh, I'll make the the claim right now. I'll read out any question that you send. Dangerous. That's true. I'll do it. I don't know. Whether Paul oh, edit, <laughs> I know I'm looking, at, looking at you, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Whether Paul edits that question out is another matter, but I'll certainly read it. Out. Yeah, it'll definitely happen. Yeah, that'll be good fun. I know that um, Felix and Deej have uh, been saving up questions to send in. So. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, we'll cer- we'll certainly have a few. Cool. That's good. So um, that's it from us, and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, take it easy, guys.